fear. You know, we all experience fear in different ways, don't we? Um, there, there is sensible fear in life. If I'm walking on my hour-long walk each day and I go past somebody's gate and there is a growling, snarling dog, it's sensible to be slightly fearful of it. It means that I back off. It means that I don't go and attempt to stroke it. If I see a poisonous snake, likewise, it's as well to be slightly fearful of it because fear tells us that something is out of our control. Fear tells us that actually we need to be careful. But fear comes in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. I don't know if you have any what could be possibly described as irrational fears this morning. Someone in our house, and I won't mention who she is, but this particular person is scared of spiders. And I don't mean just a little bit scared, but standing on a chair, kind of screaming and shouting, sort of scared of spiders. Now, I'm not a massive fan of spiders. You know, they're a bit gangly, aren't they? They have far too many legs that seem to be of any use. And they're just a little bit unpleasant. But in this country, a spider is unlikely to do you serious harm. But fear is a common theme throughout the Eastern narratives, and it comes in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. We find Peter is fearful, and he ends up denying Jesus. Pilate, in a different way, is fearful, and he ends up washing his hands, trying to say, this, is, this death of Jesus is not on me, it's on the hands of the mob. We find the women on resurrection morning encountering yet again fear, but in different ways. So Luke tells us that these women, they're on the way to the tomb. They're going with spices, they're going to anoint the body of Jesus that has been buried there. Now at the beginning of this reading, don't think that these, these women are there in search of resurrection. These were women whose lives had been turned totally upside down. They were people who were in a crisis situation, a meltdown situation. They, they were fearful. Their close friend Jesus, their teacher, the one who they'd seen heal the sick, the one who only weeks before had called Lazarus, who had died out of the tomb, the one who had spoken about the coming kingdom, the one who had taught them in ways that they they had never heard teaching like it before, is now dead and buried, having been crucified at the hands of the Romans. And I wonder if they were sort of thinking, well, what has gone on? Is all this some kind of big hoax? Had they got it wrong? Were the religious leaders right all the time? This Jesus was in the tomb. But you know, the reality of all human existence until the Lord Jesus returns in glory is that our lives too will end in death. The present pandemic has highlighted, I think, to many of us and given us a heightened awareness of both the fragility of human life, but also of its beauty and its specialness. But as these women go to the garden tomb, the fear is, is that they will encounter that Jesus' life has now fully come to an end. He has lived his life, that is it. I wonder whether they're even considering that now the followers of Jesus, the disciples, will just all naturally disperse away. See, that is the reality of what it means to be human, isn't it? 
is that every life, no matter how impressively lived, no matter how many things seem to have been achieved, ends up in that place of the tomb. Sometimes as a minister, I think one of the most heart-wrenching things I ever encounter is people who look at the tomb, look at the grave, and think, well, that is it. There is no hope. There is nothing beyond. Preachers um, often like to preach in threes. Um, Sometimes I think if we're only preaching two points, it means that actually it doesn't look like we've prepped properly. If we're preaching four, nobody can remember what we're talking about. So I've got three points this morning as we look at this resurrection event. But the good news is they're all the same points, so hopefully you'll remember it. And the, the thing is this. There is a reality greater than our fear because he has risen. As these women, they're they're probably scared now of even being associated with Jesus. As they arrive at the tomb, they find in verse 2 that the stone has been moved. The stone has been rolled away. Verse 3, they enter the tomb and they find that Jesus' body isn't there. Now, I don't think at this point they're actually contemplating resurrection. They only remember what Jesus has said, actually, in verse 8. Our best guess at this point is that they're probably looking for a very normal human explanation as to what has happened. You know, if this had been me, or perhaps it had been you at this point, I'd have been thinking, well, has there been an admin error? Has Jesus' body been moved to another tomb because this tomb was meant for somebody else? Or possibly, even more sinisterly, has somebody stolen the body? You see, in the ancient world, people often got buried with their belongings, and a a tomb was an easy target for grave robbers. But then we get to verse 4, and it's a total game-changer, a total reality-changer, and in our case, a total life-changer. Because what was, at this point, an explainable scene, suddenly becomes something that only God can do. Verse 5, we find that they respond again in fright. There is still fear because now two men clothed in white and we presume these are angelic messengers are in the tomb with them. And so the fear is now, well, what is going on? What is happening? What is God going to do? And so the second thing we see this morning is that these women found is that there is a reality that is greater than our fear. This Easter is so different to any other Easter that the Christian Church has ever celebrated over its 2,000 and odd years of existence. Don't know if you listened to the the Queen's Easter message over the weekend, but she was saying exactly the same thing. It's, It's unique, but the message of resurrection still resonates critically across our world. Usually today, millions, if not billions, of Christians are celebrating the resurrection. I was just reflecting back at what we were doing this time last year. You know, our church was full. We were having a baptism. We had our praise band. It was noisy. It was celebratory. And we were, we were shouting that Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And the church across the globe, in all its diversity of styles and colours and different ways of doing things, would be shouting that he has risen. Today, because of the coronavirus pandemic, across so many nations, churches that are normally full, are empty. Our own church building at Lynn Baptist Church is empty this morning. And I wonder for for us as Christians, if 
we've actually realised that the hard way, that the scattered church is nonetheless still the church of Jesus. What matters is not our buildings. You know, Jesus never said, go and build buildings. He said, go and make disciples. And actually, the trappings of worship are not what matters. But it's the message of the gospel, the message of this glorious news that he has risen. You know, as one person has said, the churches are empty, but so was the tomb. Verse 5 and 6 of the Luke passage. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Those last three words, he has risen, change the whole of these women's reality. And later on, as we, as we find this hope and this excitement of Easter Day is, is thought through, is reflected through, is prayed through, we find that some of the apostles start to write about what's happened. And so you read in the letters of Paul, of Peter and John, as they write to early churches, that they, they start to understand that because Jesus was crucified and rose, that sins can be forgiven. That the price that we should have paid for sin has been taken by Jesus that the powers of darkness are destroyed, that the sting of death has gone. And so that we have the option today to be part of God's forgiven people, to be part of the new creation, to have our own eternity secure because Jesus is risen. For those who have followed Christ this morning, we have been born again of the Spirit and will know him forever. If today you've yet to make that decision to follow Jesus, can I encourage you today, this Easter day, this resurrection day, to take that first step and to follow and become a disciple of Jesus. Because what we find on resurrection day is that the tomb is not the full stop. It is not the final curtain call. There is life because Christ has risen. And Jesus comes and he offers to us today Life in fullness for now. Knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we have hope, knowing that we have assurance of eternity. Thirdly, this morning, you know what's coming. There is a reality that is greater than our fear. The reading that Irene read to us was from the book of 1 Corinthians and Paul, um, writing probably three decades on from the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection to a particularly crazy church in Corinth. It was a church that I sometimes read Corinthians and think I'm so glad I'm not in leadership of a church like that. It was a kind of mad kind of place. But what he says to them is get back to basics. Get back to the resurrection and the cross of Christ. This is what matters. Chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the reality, you see, that confronts and confounds all our fears. It changes everything. It changes our present, it changes our past, it changes our future. At the moment, it is easy to be fearful. It is easy and it's very understandable and I feel it just the same as all of us to be anxious about this current pandemic. 
And I'm not in any way trying to belittle those feelings that we have. But what we see in the empty tomb is that our present reality is not all there is. There is a greater reality. Jesus has risen and in him there is a greater hope. So this Easter, this resurrection day, with all its strangeness and weirdness, with all its isolation, the message of the resurrection still resounds. The message of hope that first came to those women on that first resurrection day shines brightly into the darkness of our world. So will you this Easter day, will you look into that empty tomb and ponder at what God has done? Will you this Easter day hear the call of the risen Christ to follow him, to celebrate his coming back from the dead? Will you this Easter allow the hope of Jesus to encircle your life? See, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know whether you're, you're sat watching this on your own, whether you're in a household with other people, whether you're in Thelwall Grange. I don't know where you are. But what I do know is that there is a reality that is greater than our fear. And it's the reality of the risen Christ. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you that you rose Jesus from the dead. Thank you that we can live with hope, certain hope. Thank you that you offer us life for the full in this life and eternal life beyond. And Lord, whether it's for the first time today or for the thousandth time today, I just pray that we will seek to follow you and know your presence in our lives. And we ask it in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen.